Struggling to keep track of your story and world? Archivos is for you. More intuitive than a wiki, more extensible than Scrivener, Archivos builds your story bible into your personal, always-on tactical display. Graphical relationship charting, continuity tools, this thing has it all, with bonus options for fan engagement and real-time collaboration. Archivos. Story world management done right www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 1046. Today we hear from Nicole, who asks, What are your favorite 80s TV shows and why? Any that when looking through an adult's and writer's lenses really work well. Why? I recently discovered Tubi had both The A-Team and Greatest American Hero. I thought A-Team would be my favorite and... Greatest American Hero would be fun, but mostly cheese. And actually, when I watched the pilots, it was the reversed. Mm -hmm. A-Team was fun, but super cheesy. And Greatest American Hero had a lot more depth than what I remembered. To be fair, I haven't finished the Greatest American Hero pilot yet, but the setup has been intriguing and lots of unexpected twists in the narrative. Yeah, I really loved The Greatest American Hero. The show had as much heart as that theme song did, and that theme song just wrecks me. It's so beautiful Mm -hmm. and joyous. That's one of those that works completely out of context. Yeah. Because I've never seen the show, but I like the song. When I was a little kid... I used to love playing Greatest American Hero. I would tie a, <laughs> I would tie a sheet around my neck as a cape, and then I would make a pile of boxes, and I would jump into it because he could never land right. So he would always, when he landed, he always crash into something. <laughs> Loads of fun. Um, the A Team is fun, but yeah, it's uh, very formulaic, very cheesy, and uh, it, it's endlessly watchable. But once you've seen one episode, you've seen them all. Mm-hmm. Um, Magnum P.I. had amazing depth. I loved Magnum P.I. And, oh, God, that went some really great places. Um, other, uh, the whole Belisario uh, yeah. collection in the 80s, Magnum P.I. and Quantum Leap. Mm. Um, Quantum Leap was in the 90s, wasn't it? No, it was in the 80s. It was ended. It? it ended in 91 or 92. Oh, okay. But it started back in 86 or 87. It ran five seasons. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Glenn Larson, of course, did Battlestar Galactica in the 70s, but it has very much an 80s TV show feel, as did uh, Buck Rogers, which was done in 79. Mm, um, okay. The first season of Buck Rogers is loads of fun. They're, the second season was terrible. That is so away with TV shows. Well, it was just successful enough that it got a lot of executive interference, and they basically remade the whole show. Right, right. Yeah. But that that's one of those things that happens to TV shows. If they don't get messed up in the second season, they get messed up after the second season. Right. Like, <laughs> but that wasn't, the true, that wasn't true with either Magnum or Quantum Leap. They were right. both good all the way through. And in both cases, the final episode was great. And in the case of 
Quantum Leap, the final episode, to just slay you, especially if you know anything about mid-20th century literature. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly you realize that the entire show has been a reply to a very particular, very influential 20th century play. And it brings a lot of extra depth to the whole show, if you mm-hmm. hadn't picked it up before that. Um, let's see, what else? Um, you loved the real Ghostbusters. I did. You should talk about that for a couple <laughs> minutes. I did. Um, you know, between Real Ghostbusters, Babylon 5, and Murder, She Wrote, I did, like, J. Michael Straczynski had an undue influence on my narrative life before I was paying attention to those things. The storytelling in The Real Ghostbusters is excellent. I was addicted to the kids' TV show long before I ever saw the any of the movies. One of the things I liked about it was, aside from the, the team aspect, it was a very good show about running a business. Mm. And you actually can learn a lot about how a business is run by watching the four Ghostbusters and Janine try to manage their business, particularly um, Venkman in the cartoon, is the business-minded one who's trying to make everything work. And him and Janine really run the shop as far as the the business end of things. And it's Straczynski, so really excellent mythology and a lot of depth in that mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite 80s TV show um, is a very little-known crime drama called Wise Guy. Mm. Stephen J. Cannell is another one of my favorite creators from the 80s and 70s. He did The Rockford Files. He did dozens of shows. But Wise Guy was my favorite Cannell show. Um, it was an arc-based show that followed a, um FBI agent who went undercover, infiltrated the mob, and then took them out. But it was very, very tightly focused on the ethics of undercover work and the character destruction it causes. Mm. It's astonishingly good and it spends a lot of time focusing on the business aspects of these different organized crime um, Mm. syndicates and the business that they're in and the cultural context that makes the business that they're in so profitable Mm -hmm. and for a creative there is one particular storyline that is a must see it's one of the less impressive dramatically um, even though it's got the, the best the, cast. The record one, right? The Dead Dog Records arc. Now, here's the fun thing. it's the story, In this story, our hero infiltrates the music business. And the rights for the show for music are a mess. So you can pick it up on rebroadcast on streaming services and cable channels. But as far as I know, it's not available on video. But you can sometimes find it on pirate streams. But if you've got a friend who taped it off of TV or who has since acquired it through some means that I will presume are legal, (laughs) it is absolutely a must-watch. Not only is the bad guy in this arc Tim Curry, and does it feature feature Paul Winfield and Patty Darbinville and um, and, uh, what's-her-nose from Blondie and loads of other musicians that are just having a raucous, glorious time in this, in, this, in this arc. The whole thing is a 101 education in the intellectual property business and how mm. it works. Mm-hmm. It is the best education you can get 
going into the IP business. There's mm. stuff I learned in that show when I was 10 years old that I didn't encounter in my professional training as a writer until I'd been in this business and seriously taking professional training for over 10 years. It's one of the reasons I wrote my book, Business 101, is I was trying to make sure that some of that stuff that gets held back for later gets put up front where it belongs. But I didn't even get all of it. There is so much in this arc for writers that you gotta pick it up if you can. Yeah. Oh, what were some other of the great 80s TV shows? DuckTales. <laughs> DuckTales yes. was wonderful. Especially the first 80 episodes were just amazing. They got a little squishy after Gizmo Duck came in, but DuckTales was fantastic. The writing was top-notch. The characterization was fabulous. They're infinitely rewatchable. The stories are so well done. Mm-hmm. They always leave a smile on your face. Um, they are a very, very good example of um, pulp fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the pulp era science fiction. They're modeled after that. Um, they're all, and they're the, literally based on pulp era comics. Yeah, they're like a Lester Dent cartoon. And so if you want a good and approachable model of that style of storytelling, you cannot go wrong with DuckTales. Yeah, absolutely. And not the stupid-ass reboot that sucked. The actual original 1980s version. Yes. Um, the reboot was terrible. Um, <sighs> now, um, it would be remiss of me to talk about 80s TV shows without giving an honorable mention to the single most influential soap opera in history. The show that brought down the Soviet Union, literally. Dallas. Really? Really. The Solidarity Movement in Poland won their election because someone started doing pirate TV broadcasts of Dallas, and they realized that the Soviet propaganda about the West repressing all its people was bullshit. And that's what got the—that was the final domino that knocked down the Eastern Bloc. Fascinating. It is incredibly silly. And by that I mean the style is very, very early 80s cheese. But the writing is pretty good. It's re- it's it's all that you would expect out of a modern soap opera like Revenge, which was really good a few years ago. Um, it's complete, you know, financial dealings, and everyone's stabbing each other in the back and sleeping with each other's spouses, and m- motivations changing on a dime for no really good reason. But the story structure is that perfect soap opera story structure where it keeps you watching even when you can't believe that you allow yourself to keep breathing without committing suicide in shame for watching something so transparently manipulative. <laughs> Which means you can learn a lot from it as a writer. Isn't that true, though, of all soap operas? Some more so than others. You got any others? Um, you know what? All of the good 80s television that I can think of are things that I've discovered in the last 10 or 20 years. That's okay. It counts. Because when it was the 80s, I, I was actually, I, I was watching Transformers and He-Man. Yep. And, um, <laughs> well, except for uh, Magnum and the A-Team, I was kind of addicted to that. All right, I'll jump in with one more before we go. It's another one of those che- 80s cheese puts a big smile on your face every time. <laughs> The Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Oh, yes. It's a buddy cop uh, spy drama that turns into a buddy cop spy romance. 
It's really, really wonderful. And I suppose in that vein, we should also mention Moonlighting. Mm. Which was what launched Bruce Willis's career. It was never quite my cup of tea, but a lot of people loved it. Mm-hmm. But if I to pick between the two, I always preferred Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Yes. Probably because it was a little more intelligible to a 10-year-old. But it was. Re- I've watched it again since I was an adult, and it remains a really quality show. Lots and lots of fun. So I guess we'll call it there for today. And uh, we hope you enjoy your streaming adventures. We'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Notarifitous License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.